Now really, I wanted to teach this chapter first, but I taught chapter one last week to give us context for what's gonna happen in this chapter. And the story is that a woman is completely helpless in her situation in life. She is lacking. She's despised. She's degraded. She has an enemy that she cannot escape. And her lot in life is basically hopeless. Nobody can change anything for her. She's trapped, and it's pretty much hell on earth. And we saw how she sank to the absolute lowest point, and in her misery, she prayed to God. And then God helped her, turned around the entire situation, and we want to look at this because we face the same situations. We have to prevail in life. Prevail is a word that means overcome, triumph, win. We think, okay, how is that going to happen? And this is really the punchline to the whole thing that we're going to consider, is the fact that we prevail in life when we prevail with God. That's what we're going to look at today. You overcome in life when you overcome with God. So here's what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumbled are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven, and she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Now, Hannah has directly experienced God's salvation. And understandably, she is extremely happy. Did you notice that? Now, the location is right here at the house of the Lord in Shiloh, where she has just 
given up her son Samuel to the Lord so that Samuel will serve the Lord all the days of his life. And you might think, well, this is a weird situation. She was barren. She asked God for a son. She says, if you give me a son, I will give him back to you all the days of his life. He will be dedicated to you and to doing your will. And God has answered. And now she spent three years raising him and preparing him and letting him know this is where you come from. This is why your name means name of God. Because I asked God for you and you exist because God answered my prayer. You are for God and never be afraid of God. Never be afraid of serving God with all that you have because he is good. You exist because God is good. And I love you. And so she's doing this right now. She's delivering up Samuel. And then she's praying. And her prayer comes out of this experiencing God for herself. She has experienced God. You know, you can read about God in books. And you can read things like God is holy and God is this and God is that. Fabulous and nothing. As far as you're concerned, it's all words on a book page. Doesn't mean anything. But Hannah has gone way beyond just reading the words. She's lived it. It's a reality to her. And her heart is overflowing with joy because she's experienced God working through her. No longer theory, abstract. Well, that would be nice if it worked, but we know it doesn't. She would say, uh-uh, I'm the living proof. Here's my son. He is the living proof. So she says, my heart rejoices in the Lord. And boy, is that weak. She is living 24 hours a day in this knowledge that there is a God in heaven. And not only is he there, but he is looking at me. Just like we read about in Psalm 113. Here's God, most high, bigger than the universe. And you would think, you know, he's got his own thing to deal with. Up there, you know, in God.com. Whatever happens up there, it's just like we're the little tiny, you know, planet in one little solar system in galaxies filled with billions of stars and then a universe filled with billions of galaxies. It's like we're not even microscopic. As far as God is concerned, atoms, electrons, people, angels, universe, it's all the same. It's just, you don't even have glasses strong enough to read it. It's like, I can't see it. And yet Hannah experienced this God who is far above all things actually bend over and he says, I'm watching you. And I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you pray while your lips move and you're not even making a sound. I hear you. So her heart is rejoicing in the Lord. And not only that, her horn is exalted in the Lord. Do not think like a unicorn. Okay, this big horn coming out of her forehead. It's a metaphor. 
And it's expressing not only strength, but dignity. Kind of think like, uh, you know the cartoon Bambi? And you get that shot of Bambi right at, there at the end when Bambi is full grown and has won his big fight. And he kind of does this with his horn. He's got a full rack, right? Now, you have to imagine horns on top of my head, okay? This is a little awkward. But I've got my full rack, and I just kind of go. And you go, wow, full rack, cool. It's the dignity and the strength. It's both. Because... Here, Hannah has been degraded and stepped on and told, you're nothing. You're nothing. You're cursed by God. You can't have kids. I can have kids, but you can't. And all of a sudden, now, Hannah knows that God has exalted her. God has given her dignity and worth. And nobody can take it away. Nobody can demean her anymore. The game is up. Now that's fabulous. And she says, I smile at my enemies. And that's kind of a translation of an idiom. My mouth opens wide. And what that means is she can say whatever she wants. And it's not going to get her in trouble. Before, she didn't have anything to say. When this lady, the other wife, Penina, is jumping on her and tearing her down and criticizing her and just telling her, God hates you. You're cursed of the Lord. And just really oppresses her. She has nothing to say. She can't have kids. It must be true. And she has nothing to say. But now, she can talk. And what she says is true. You see, even now, as she's praying, she is filled with the Holy Spirit. And what she said was so important, they wrote it down. And it's preserved here. She has been speaking for the last 3,000 years. And she has something to say to all the enemies. The people that like to oppress because they're so superior. But also to the devil who likes to oppress because he is so superior. And so she gets to actually speak boldly, openly, without fear of being shut down or kicked off Twitter, silenced. Do you see what I mean? She gets to speak, and she has been speaking, and this is her testimony. This is her glorifying God. This is explaining and showing that God has noticed her, a woman, barren, oppressed, no power, and he saved her out of all that. So she says here in verse 2, there is no one holy like the Lord. You think, well now, is that where we start? She's talking about this abstract sort of quality about God. There's no one holy but the Lord. And she says, don't you see it? This is so important. God is holy. See, okay. Holiness is something that belongs to God alone. 
Let's start there. Now, there are holy people, holy Bible, right? But it all comes from the fact that God in himself is holy. And that means that he is different from everything. Because everything is created. But God is not created. God is eternal, has always existed. And therefore, he is different and other and separate from everything else that exists because there was a time when it was not. And God himself brought it into being and he's going to change it all and do something different. Everything we look around and see is not permanent. No beginning, no end. That means he's sovereign. He's independent. He's not dependent on something else. He is self-existent. He has all power, all knowledge. He is the truth. He is reality. He defines what reality is and what it's not. Now, besides all that, holiness also means good. And in fact, the Bible says there's no one good except God. Do you see that? This goodness that is so essential to who God is. He's good. And that's expressed in love. Remember that it says in the Bible, God is love. We can love, but we're not love, but God is. We know how to love, but we also know how to do awful things, and we do them. God's not like that. Everything he does is in love. All that he is is this love, and that means he thinks about others. With all that power and eternity and knowledge, what does he do? He delights in unchanging love. He delights in thinking about others. This is essential. This is why there is Father who loves the Son, who loves the Spirit. There is no explanation for love outside of who God is. Perfect relationship, perfect love. So, we read in Psalm 113 that God stoops over. He humbles himself. Think about the times you have humbled yourself. I don't know if you've done some extreme things. I've done some extreme clops, and then we'll clean everything up afterwards. So I said, I am going out to the garbage dumps today and visit the people who go to this church, they go to a Calvary Chapel in Alangapo in the Philippines. I think, I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm walking out on the garbage dump. I wouldn't choose to go there. But think about God, the most high, holy, separate. What does he do? He bends way over and he looks and he listens. He humbles himself to look at us. Now, there's a lot going on in the world. In roughly the year 1000 BC, Okay, there are armies moving, and there are conquests being made. And I tried to look up in one of my history books what's going on then. And there's history going on all over the place. There's, you know, rebellion in China, and there's instability in the Middle East, and 
There's all sorts of big things going on, but guess what God is doing a thousand years before Christ? He's listening to one woman pray. Can you imagine that? And then he says, I'm going to answer that prayer. Why should God consider a barren woman who is being tormented by an arrogant bully? Why should he care? But he did. That's why Hannah's happy. And what Hannah is talking about is this is God's universe. God is God and there is no other and he is it. That's her testimony. Now, you know, you can read about the, the attributes of God and not be moved, like I said. Eternity. Okay, so what? And it's kind of like the Queen of Sheba. You remember her. She heard these stories about Solomon, king of Israel, and she thought, huh, really? She says, well, let's find out. So she gets a whole caravan together, and she goes, and she travels, and she wants to check out Solomon, king of Israel. Is that even true? And she said, it says, she saw how he lived. She saw the food that he ate, the kind of clothes that his servants wore, the steps by which he went up to worship at the temple, and it says that she had no more spirit left within her. It's kind of a play on words because spirit and breath are the same word in Hebrew. And it was like she was breathless. She was going, ah, ah, ah. And she said, you know what? They didn't tell me half of what's going on here. I heard that story and I thought, what is that? Star Wars? Techno Israel? I'm sure. She says, they didn't even tell me half. Her mind was blown. It was even better than she thought. Now, this is what's happening to Hannah. She knew all this stuff. God is holy. God is all-powerful. God is above the heavens. Whoop-de-doo. But then she experienced it, and she goes, wow. That's where Hannah's at right now, okay? So, she says, I smile at my enemies. Now, this is talking about this rival wife named Penina. Now, Penina decided she would be Hannah's enemy. Hannah wasn't looking for enemies. She wasn't looking to have a fight. Anybody here looking for a fight today? Who needs an enemy? Nobody. But Penina was Hannah's enemy. And she decided, here's a helpless woman. I think I'm going to be her enemy. I think I'm going to do a Mexican hat dance on her and just let her know, you're worth nothing. Hey, look at me. I can do what you can't do. That means I'm better than you. So who told Penina to do this? And the answer is nobody. She voted herself into the position. She goes, hi, I'm your enemy for the rest of your life. I'm going to make you feel crummy. Let's start now. Don't you have anything better to do? Why don't you go have another baby or something? No, I think I'll stick around and just make you feel crummy. Do you feel crummy yet? Well, hang on. So, you know, she decided she was judge and jury and executioner. And I think it's because she felt like she could get away with it and nothing would happen to her. It's safe for me to play around and slap you around and make you feel bad because what are you going to do? I'm safe. And nobody's going to protect you, not even your husband. So let's get going. Isn't that awful? Just because I can. 
But you know, when she made herself an enemy of Hannah, she also made herself an enemy of God. Because there she is in verse 3. Hannah says, talk no more so very proudly. Peninnah voted herself into this because I'm just going to take the authority and do it. I'm going to make myself the superior and I'm just going to bully my way into doing this. And it's all about I am arrogant. I think I'm a better person than I really am. Now, to vote yourself into God's position is very arrogant. What Hannah has just said is there's no one holy like the Lord. He is the judge. The judge of all the earth. And the Lord is the God of knowledge. By him actions are weighed. See, God is the one who decides was that a good action or was that not. Was that really good or was that merely self-serving? Was that legitimate? Or was that just you puffing yourself up because you could? So God alone is the one who decides who's right and who's wrong. And nobody else. So when somebody else acts as a judge, when somebody else decides they're going to grind their boot into your face, they're taking the position of God. And that is offensive to God. So Hannah says, stop praising yourself. And this is where God judged Hannah right and Peninnah wrong. And she has nothing more to say. This is what Hannah's doing. She's got a, a bold mouth and she says, you can now be quiet. Because you got nothing more to say. And it is glorious to be vindicated by God, isn't it? And to sort of be freed from your enemy who is your enemy for no cause. Now, look in verses 4 to 8. We, got, we have a series of contrasts, all right? And some of these are things that we see in life. They're natural. They don't require any supernatural intervention by God. Like the bows of the mighty man are broken. That's going to happen at some point, right? You get something, it's brand new, it works, it's great, but it breaks and you go, well, I kind of knew that was going to happen. And in verse 5, those who are full have hired themselves out for bread. Well, that happens naturally too, doesn't it? I mean, nothing lasts forever and you can make a couple of mistakes like Lex Greensill, if you've been following that in the papers. He was successful in doing a lot of funding of businesses and all, and then something happens, and suddenly his, his business is collapsed, and he's in debt millions and millions of pounds. So that's natural. That happens. And then uh, she who has many children has become feeble. That's natural. Any mother of kids knows, man, you get tired after a while. <laughs> that's a lot of kids, that's a lot of energy, and it's like, okay, I'm done. So there's no miracle there. Nobody would look at a tired mother and go, wow, that's supernatural. No, it's children. But see, Hannah puts it right alongside of real miracles. Like those who stumble are girded with strength. And that's supernatural. That's like water running uphill. How did somebody who's weak become strong? That's a miracle which is the power of God entering human existence. So yeah, you can actually see the weak getting strong that's a miracle. And the barren has, well, the hungry has ceased to hunger. When somebody who has nothing ends up with something, 
God did something there. And then the barren bearing seven. That is an intervention of God. You can look at that and say, that's a miracle. Okay. Now she also says, basically, that God is the God of natural and supernatural events. Both of these things happen because God is behind them. It's not that God's behind one and not behind the other. What she's experienced is God is behind everything. So she says in verse 6, the Lord kills and makes alive. When somebody dies, it's because God says, your time has come in every situation. God says how long you live, not the government. The government can tyrannize and make everybody take a vaccine and make everybody jump through hoops, but guess what? You cannot live any longer than God says. He kills. And he also makes alive. He alone is the God of life and death. When someone becomes rich, that's the Lord. And when somebody becomes poor, that is the Lord. He's behind both of those things. You can't say, well, no, wait, 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 wait. That rich guy is a genius. He's a good businessman. He built himself up. And that poor guy, he's a moron. He doesn't know, or he's lazy, but it's his fault. And it's the other guy. And that's why we go after the rich guy, because he's somebody. And we ignore the poor guy, because he's useless. But see, it's God who gives the power to make wealth. When somebody is rich, it's because God has allowed it to happen. And when somebody is poor, it's because God allowed it to happen. He's behind everything. And especially, God exalts and he puts down. Now, he can take a beggar on an ash heap. And remember, we're made of dust. A beggar on an ash heap is just one step above being ash himself. He can take somebody who's practically nothing and give him a title and make him sit with princes. He did that literally with Joseph. Maybe you'll recall. Joseph is in prison, forgotten, as good as dead, in Egypt, and he begins one day after like years and years and years of being in prison and just being nothing, he starts the day a prisoner just like he has for years. By the end of the day, he is the second most powerful man in Egypt, the most powerful country in the world. One day, all of a sudden, everybody is getting down on their knees to Joseph. Now, this literally happened, and it's because of God. So, this world is God's world. That's what it says in verse 8. The pillars of the earth are the Lord's. What supports this world? What makes this world what it is? God. This is his world, his life, and it works according to to how God says it works. And there aren't a number of different ways to make this life work. It only works one way. It's his reality. And what Hannah really wants to say is, the way this life works is you prevail with God first. And then you will prevail in life. It says here in verse 9, He will guard the feet of His saints. 
Now the word there for saint is the Hebrew word chasid, godly one. And that word chasid comes from the Hebrew word chesed, which is the covenant. I know I cannot save myself. You save me. And God in his covenant love, faithful, strong, he saves. That's what being a Christian is about. It's knowing I cannot save myself, but God has made a covenant with Jesus to save all those who receive Jesus. And God saves us by his covenant love. And then Psalm 25.10 says, All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. And that word mercy is chesed. All the paths of the Lord. He keeps the feet of his saints. He leads them in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's how this world works. A person receives his love. He says, I will guard your feet. I will lead you. And he says, the wicked ones shall be silent in the darkness. In John chapter 3, it says, this is the condemnation. The light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Now, if a person doesn't want to be exposed by the light and to receive the covenant love of God, they don't have to. They can hide in the darkness. But then if you choose darkness, God is going to ratify your choice. You've chosen the darkness forever. Here it is. So, the wicked... They shall be silent in darkness, for not by strength shall a man prevail. This is really the basic fact of life. That we don't throw ourselves at life in our own strength, and our own understanding, and our own ability, and try to duke it out and somehow overcome. And find, my goodness, this is like, trying to duke it out with a steamroller. I watched some video of this kind of geared mechanism uh, recycling all kinds of metal things. And they throw in a bicycle and these gears just eat, eat it up. Tires get shredded, the gears, everything. <laughs> and it keeps on rolling. So they throw in a, a mail cart. <laughs> and it's gone. That's what we're duking it out with. Try to land a good blow. Sucked in. That's it. Bug splat. No, that's not how you overcome. You overcome in the Lord. Just as Hannah has overcome now, the prime example of this is right here in verse 10. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. The Messiah. The Messiah is the prime example of this. And again, by completely depending upon God. Now this is what Jesus says in John chapter 5 verse 19. He answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. In verse 30, he says, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. 
and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. And the result of this is that Jesus does miracles. And people always praise God. Don't you think that's interesting? Why don't they run around and just praise Jesus? But they never do. He does it in such a way that the Father is always glorified. The Father is always glorified. He's not even taking the glory to himself. And he could because he's God. But instead, the Messiah, the Son of God, prays, not my will, but yours be done. And in that will, he saves us. He dies for our sins and he rises from the dead. So the Messiah is the prime example of this that not by strength will a man prevail. So, you prevail in life when you prevail with God. That's the basic fact of your existence. Now, you know, it wasn't just Peninnah here who was wrong. Hannah was wrong too. Hannah was defeated and beat down and distressed and despairing because she felt like, well, I gotta, I gotta win. And there's no way. She dealt with her enemy and God on her own. So her enemy was winning and God was nowhere. So I got some abilities. I got some skills. Not enough. Now, you know, that, that deals directly with my pride. I would like to think I can do this. I would desperately like to. I want to overcome. But I also would like everybody to, to see that. Whoa, he overcame. My goodness. I wonder if he's going to write a book about how he overcame and maybe start a speaking tour and have a lot of merch selling the secret. But you know, God says that's worthless. It's nothing to strive for. What if you created the most valuable company in the history of the world and became the world's richest man? Would that solve your problem? By strength, a man shall not prevail. See, the only way to prevail is to first prevail with God. What is prevailing with God? It's like Jacob wrestling with God. You remember that? Here's Jacob considering that his brother is coming towards him with 400 men. He's going to meet him in the morning, and he's dead. You don't show up with 400 guys to say, hey, how you doing? No, you do. You got 400 guys to kill people with. And so he's thinking, I'm dead tomorrow morning. And while he's thinking about this, there's some guy next to him. And he goes, man, can you just shove off? I need to be alone here. And he goes, no, I'd rather be here. Get lost. Well, yeah, no. Well, I'll make you. Well, you can just try. And they're wrestling. It's like, get out of here. No, I'm not. And the thing is, he's winning. He's winning against this angel. And God says, well, this isn't going to help. If he wins, he loses. So I'm going to win right now. And he touches his hip, <laughs> he has no strength left to resist God, and now he's hanging on like an octopus. And the angel is going, get off of me. <laughs> and he goes, no, not don't you bless me. See, he's taking what little strength he's got left, and he's hanging on to the angel for dear life. 
No, 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 no. You got to bless me first. He says, okay. I'll bless you. What's your name? Jacob. Supplanter. The guy that cuts in line and takes your place. He says, okay, now we're going to call you ruled by God. And because God is ruling, I'm going to make those 400 guys like you. He doesn't actually say that, but that's what happens. Everything's different when God rules. Okay? And he says, the angel said, you have struggled with God and men and prevailed. How did he prevail? Weak. Didn't have any more strength, but what he did, he just says, you got a bless me. Just bless me. Okay. I can deal with that. Hannah prevailed with God. She's a woman. Nobody's listening to her. She can't have kids. She says, you know what? She's even not even yelling. Inside, she's praying silently. If you give me a son, I'll give him to you all the days of his life. He says, okay. You prevailed. You win. How about Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane for three hours? Not my will, but yours be done. Okay. That's how the Messiah prevailed. Now, do you naturally think of praying when you hit the wall? From here on in, this is what you do. Because you're not going to make it by money or strength or ability or education or your relatives or anything. None of that stuff is going to count. But you can pray. And you know, praying is so weak. It's so helpless, isn't it? Don't you feel dumb? You close your eyes and you start talking to God and that's going to fix everything? I'm sure. Hey there, darling. Keep on praying. Us people are going to go out in the real world and fix it. And you keep praying there. But see, by strength shall no man prevail. God says this. You know, that barren woman, that beggar on the ash heap, that's you and that's me. So what do we have? Let's count up our resources here. God. Why should God listen to us? Because that's how this world works. That's how he set it up. So, you know, of course he's going to listen. Now, it's interesting about the timing on all this. And I was just reading this this morning, Romans chapter 1. Paul says, I've been praying and praying and praying about visiting you in the timing of God that I might preach the gospel to you. So this is something God, that Paul was praying about a lot, a lot, a lot. And you know, God answered his prayer in the right time. And guess how he answered it? First of all, it was a riot. And he was in prison for two years, and then when they finally decided they don't know what to do with him, he appeals to Rome. So then they put him on a ship, and it, it totally gets destroyed. And finally, he makes it to Rome as a prisoner. He comes in weakness, but God got him there. See? All we do is pray. And God has so set up this world that he hears prayer. And he will answer. 
And you know, when he does that, then you get to know the joy, the joy of experiencing God. And I know that some of us have really experienced that. And that is the encouragement to keep on. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, even now, you're listening to us. And we understand that we are highly favored already. You're listening to us right now. And not only that, you hear our silent prayers. You even hear our prayer when we don't believe it. And you're saying, yeah, but I got this situation that I've had for a long time and nothing is changing and you're not answering and I'm struggling. I am really struggling. But this is your world and this is the way you've made it to work that when we humble ourselves before you, you hear. And so we want to bring ourselves to you. And we say, not my will, but yours be done. If anyone here hasn't received Jesus, ask him into your life right now. That's the starting point. And then we understand, Heavenly Father, that you are making us humble like Jesus. And so we pray, not my will, but yours be done. Thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers. That's what you're doing for us. Please keep doing that. We want to really commit the burden of our life to you. We can't carry it. And we commit the, the sickness. We commit the dreams and the finances kids and, and everything we want to commit it to you and pray that your will would be accomplished in Jesus name we pray amen